Hello and welcome to the Build-A-Bard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using a random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, we'll just find... There'll be a point where it'll make sense well, to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is a return for us. Give me one second. I've just got to extremely unprofessionally open a can of generic cola drink. <laughs> Steve is back and on his land legs again. Are you going to say last legs? <laughs> no. <laughs> Both are true. Anyway, today we are discussing a variant human war cleric. And as usual, I'm going to ask, how did you find this build? It's always good when you do that inhale. I had issues, but I think they were mostly me issues. I'm not entirely sure that's accurate. Okay. Frodo, no, no, no. They'll be in the background of the episode. We might even have to do that whole bit again, because I didn't notice you were chewing. Variant human war cleric. Yes. You say it's a you thing that you think you've had trouble with. Mm-hmm. I struggled with this too, and I struggled with it because of something that will come up later. I suspect it might be the same thing that I'm thinking of, but shall we roll off? Yeah. Let's roll the first one. I've got a 15. And I got 12, so okay. you choose if you want to go first or not. Well, I've always chosen to go first, and I think yeah. it's only fair that you go first this time. All right, if that's how you want to do it. I have got a picture of the board here. So, <laughs> uh, race, obviously, variant human. For my languages, I've chosen celestial. Do you have a name for your character? Christelle Van Sant. There's no particular reasoning behind that. It's, oh, so it's okay. just a name that I thought of. I went with Celestial because, to me, Celestial is the D&D version of Latin. I also think it would be hilarious to have a cleric who doesn't speak Celestial and actually manages to speak with their source of divinity and can't understand a word they're saying. (laughs) Ability score increase, I went with Constitution and Wisdom, so we'll look Mm -hmm. at how those factor in later. Skills, I went with Athletics. And the feat I chose... Do you want to guess what I chose? Was it Warcaster? It was Warcaster. Okay. And for those of you not familiar with Warcaster, that gives you advantage on constitution saving throws to maintain concentration. You can perform the somatic components of spells when you have weapons or a shield in both hands. And you can use a spell when you do an opportunity attack. This is the variant human, which I think we've mentioned before. Somewhere in the description it says, if your campaign uses the optional feat rule from the player's handbook, your dungeon master might allow these variant traits. So don't walk into a game expecting the DM to allow variant human because rules as written the DM has every right to say we're not using that. Mm. Although we do use feats yeah. for creating our characters. We, we do use them, the, yeah. the show. 
Yeah. So for the class features, I've got the additional cleric spells from Tasha's. Mm-hmm. Proficiencies at first level, I've chosen religion and medicine. The divine domain, obviously, as was chosen for us, is war domain. Ability score improvement, because I took the cleric to level five. Mm-hmm. I chose fey touched, which seems like just a lazy generic other one to add on to a spellcaster, but there's a reason for it. And the extra spell that I've chosen for that is bless, which again may seem a bit strange because that's already on the cleric list but a little do you get a free casting of that yes you learn the misty step spell and one first level spell of your choice the first level spell must be from the divination or enchantment school you can cast each of these spells without expending a spell slot dog drinking in the background sorry about that once you cast either of these spells in this way you can't cast the spell until you finish a long rest you can also cast these spells using spell slots you have of the appropriate level so you can use your spell slots to cast that sorry Frodo just licked my elbow on the way past he does that that's his just sort of (laughs) it's almost like a pat on the pat on the shoulder like you're right there mate yeah that's a good boy hey a very good boy aren't you yeah okay so that is all of the choices for the class ability scores as always we're doing standard array so I put my 15 in wisdom which with the plus one from variant human and with the plus one from Fey Touched, that yep. takes that up to 17. Well, it's annoying having an odd number in the build. So the 15 went in Wisdom, 14 in Strength, 13 in Constitution. So I'll be getting some shit through my letterbox. Dexterity, 12. Intelligence, 10. Charisma, 8. Mm-hmm. For the background, I have chosen Soldier. Same. Which gives me skill proficiency in intimidation and I've chosen perception. Proficiency in the dice set, just because I couldn't think of anything else. Mm -hmm. Do you want to run through, should we do the suggested characteristics now or later? Well, not you tell me what you picked for your character, your your personal characteristics, yeah. Well, this is a neutral good character with a modest lifestyle. Brown hair, fair skin, blue eyes, 5'6", 180 pounds, 25 years old female. Personality traits, I'm haunted by memories of war. I can't get the images of violence out of my mind. I've lost too many friends and I'm slow to make new ones. Ideals, greater good. Our lot is to lay down our lives in defense of others. Bonds, I'll never forget the crushing defeat my company suffered or the enemies who dealt it. And flaws, I made a terrible mistake in battle that cost many lives and I would do anything to keep that mistake secret. So, having run through that, if I can move on to themes and standout yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. With everything that I've done there, obviously, passive perception of 16 is pretty good. Athletics plus 5, medicine plus 6, perception plus 6, religion is only plus 3, but that's because I personally, I'm always frustrated seeing like a clerical paladin that has low religion, and it also brings up the problem that religion is intelligence-based. Well, because there is knowledge of one's own religion, and there is knowledge of religion as a as an entirety. Yeah. And I think just because one is religious oneself doesn't necessarily mean one knows everything about other religions. That's true. So, going into equipment, I took chainmail with my starting equipment. Mm-hmm. I've got hand axe just because it was there. Two potions of healing is what I spent my 100 gold pieces on. Got a shield and a warhammer. And this is the bit that is arguable, but it's the only way to have what I feel is the most important feature of a cleric. The magic item that I have chosen is the elemental gem, yellow diamond. Okay. Because it doesn't say it has to be a mundane diamond. 
worth at least 300 gold pieces. And with our builds, we only have 100 gold pieces. Right, right, right. And the diamond for Revivify is 300 gold pieces. So I was sat for ages thinking, do I want to take this cleric to level 5 and get access to third level spells and get access to Revivify? Do I want a cleric that can't Revivify or do I do something stupid? (laughs) So this is something you would probably want to agree with your DM if you did Take this as your starting magic item. This yellow diamond contains a moat of elemental energy. When you use an action to break the gem, an earth elemental is summoned as if you had cast the conjure elemental spell and the gem's magic is lost. So, what I would argue with that, or what you could come up with your DM, is do we work the elemental into the revivify spell somehow? That'd be really interesting. You could have a discussion with your DM where either the player becomes an Earth Genasi rather than summoning an Earth Elemental. You could have one where you revivify the player and the player is temporarily in the body of an Earth Elemental until you can get a 300 gold piece. Gem. That'd uh, be interesting gem. as well. There's a number of ways you could go Almost with Almost like a um, malfunctioned resurrection spell. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. You you could work with your DM to come up with something interesting for it. Or you could literally just say, it is a diamond. The spell just says it needs a diamond worth more than 300 mm-hmm. gold pieces. One of the problems with magic items is it's difficult to work out a standard valuation for them. And some of the things that I've been looking at online have said that it's the value of it would be between 500 and 2,500 gold pieces for the elemental gem. So it's difficult to put an exact valuation on it, but the lowest valuation that I've been able to find online says it's at least 500 gold pieces, so it would fulfil that. I could have sworn either in Tasha's or Xanathar's. I think I remember hearing it was in Xanathar's, and I'm pretty sure that that was the one that said it was worth 2,500 or something like that. But there's various ways of working it out online. There's also a table in the DMG, which I don't actually have on hand. Editing Simon might look it up and then cut in. Hey, it's your boy. Steve's about to find the information in a second anyway, but just for reference, there's a table in Chapter 7 of the DM's Guide, page 135, and there's a much simpler version in Xanathar's, Chapter 2, page 133. Pair of lazy sods. Let's never listen to Editing Simon. (laughs) I don't mean that at all, actually. Editing Simon actually knows what he's talking about. There's growing aggression between recording Simon and uh, Editing Simon. Where the dickens is this flipping table? Buying a magic item. Here we go. Magic item price. Uncommon is 1d6 times 100 gold pieces. Now it's halved for a consumable item like a potion or a scroll. That's interesting because I would argue that the gem is a consumable because it says when you break the gem. Yep, yep, yep. So in theory that should only be two. Actually, it's 1d6 times 100. And if you were doing averages or highest value, that would be 300 gold pieces. So it would be a 300 gold piece worth of diamond Mm. to use for Revivify. Yeah. But anyway, my point was one of my beefs that I have with clerics, and this goes back to World of Warcraft 
All there right. is nothing more frustrating than joining a group mm-hmm. that has a cleric in, going to start the dungeon and having the cleric go, no, I'm shadow spec, I don't heal. I think my wife is somewhat of a victim of this with her paladin. She's reserving one of her second level spell slots, mm-hmm. which she doesn't have a lot of. She's constantly reserving one of those for gentle repose so that if somebody dies, we've got two weeks to find someone who can resurrect them. It's ten days. So that isn't me correcting you, Simon, to be like, no, you're wrong. Because someone 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 else else will will inform you slightly less nicely than I did. (laughs) Yeah. But with a cleric, my personal inclination is to make a cleric a healer, or at least to make sure that they have some healing. Because people are going to expect that unless you are going into a group where someone says, like, I've got a divine soul sorcerer, don't worry, I've got the healing sorted. And Mm. then you can go, all right, then I'll be a silly domain cleric, which we kind of are with the war domain cleric. So Uh one thing that I did want to point out is that with war domain, the useful ability that you get up to level five is war priest. When you use the attack action, you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. You can use this feature three times per long rest. That's great, except what do clerics use their bonus action for? Spiritual weapon or healing word. There you go, spiritual weapon or healing word. So you've got a bonus action that you're probably not going to use that you get three times per long rest. I've got my own thoughts about that, but I'm not disagreeing with you though. I just want to point that out. I'm not disagreeing with you about it. In Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, Specifically, this might not have always been the case. There we go. Good boy. Ah, you chick. You don't heal like an MMO. It is not your job to be topping up the party. And there are spells that the cleric now gets, such as Aura of Vitality, which can do that job of continually topping up the party as you go. Aura of Vitality, while we're here, just to say, healing energy radiates from you in an aura with a 30-foot radius. It is a third-level spell. Until the spell ends, the aura moves with you, centred on you. You can use a bonus action to cause one creature in the aura, including you, to regain 2d6 hit points. It is a third-level spell slot and concentration for top-up. Like, if someone goes down, you don't need to worry about Revivify, because they get 2d6 worth of healing, which at the level we're talking about is between 2 and 12 points of healing, and if they get the opportunity to take a potion the next round, they're back up to semi-decent numbers, especially Mm. at level 5. And if they do that, and then the next round you go, yeah, have 2d6 more, (laughs) you you can keep everyone topped up. I think where I have a real problem with what you said (laughs) is that that extra one attack, if no one needs healing and you don't need to use healing word Mm -hmm. at lower levels, so one to four, and if you're not using spiritual weapon, so past level three, in levels one to two, you do effectively have two attacks. And for the first two levels that you're playing, your character can deal serious, serious damage right at the beginning of the game. We'll come onto this when we do the discussion afterwards. But basically, as soon as you hit level three, that thing becomes totally worthless. To me, its coolest feature is the channel divinity that allows you to add plus 10 to an attack yes, roll. Yes, guided strike. When yeah. you make an attack roll, you can use a channel divinity to gain a plus 10 bonus to the roll after the roll but before knowing the result. Mm-hmm. So you have to be on the ball with that because if your DM shouts out that it's failed, rules is written, you can't then mm-hmm. add on the plus 10. But if you roll and you feel like it's low, you can pop a channel divinity in there to make it a hit. Another little trick with that. 
If you are deciding to take a pole weapon so that you can reliably do a bonus action attack with mm-hmm. Polar Master, and you take Great Weapon Master, which minuses five from the attack roll but yeah. adds ten extra damage, you can then use your Channel Divinity mm. to turn that into a plus five to hit. So that's a neat little trick there. I'm just going to go through my spells. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Yeah. So spell attack is uh, plus six. Save is 14, which that's healthy. That's, that's not decent, too bad. I would have liked to have taken the magic item for clerics, which I can't remember what it's. It's... Um, Debris of the Devout. Amulet of the Devout? Yes, that's the yeah. magic. It gives you an extra use of your channel divinity on a short rest, which obviously is very good for the thing you just said oh, yeah. about. And it gives you plus one to your spell to hit and spell save. So, I've chosen Guidance because I really like Guidance. It's good, uh, good if you've got, Unless you've got something else tricky you're doing, Guidance is a good one to get. I've got Light because they're human, so no Dark Vision, without burning a second level spell slot. Uh, Sacred Flame because, again, thematically I like it for Cleric. Spare the Dying, which is a good one. I've got, I've got a free cast of Bless once a day, and then I can use spell slots to cast that from Fey Touched. Which is really useful, actually, to just get... I can see why you did that, just to get the extra bless. It's more about, in the past when we've been discussing sorcerers, and I've said Fey Touched is a good way to get extra spells known. It's it's the same with that. It means that you've always got bless prepared, essentially, Mm -hmm. and you've always got a free use of it. Cure Wounds, Divine Favour, I think, came from my cleric class. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Healing Word, so heal as a bonus action at range. One thing that I think about Healing Word is good is it makes Spare the Dying kind of a backup. Yes. Because if somebody goes down in combat, you know, 60 feet away, you can turn round Healing Word and not only are they conscious, they're back up with a handful of hit points. Also, death saves reset as soon as someone is back up. Spare the Dying stabilises someone, but they have not returned to one hit point and thus... Their death saves are at the same number they were before. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until literally the other day. I was in the Dungeon Dudes Discord and someone mentioned it. So I'm mentioning it to you now because I've never thought of it. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't know. Sanctuary, which it's got its situational Mm -hmm. uses because it means other characters need to make a wisdom save to hit that person. So if you've got someone who's really in trouble and you want to just remove them from combat for a second... (laughs) How long does Sanctuary last, by the way? Sanctuary lasts duration one minute. So that gives you a good ten rounds of it. This is another thing with, like, how they've improved things from 4th to 5th edition. There's a lot of spells that last a minute. And a round is roughly six seconds. In theory is six seconds. In theory is about... It's represented by six seconds. So a spell that lasts a minute will last you for uh, ten rounds. In 4th edition, they had spells... Spells were broken up into once-per-long-rest spells. You had your per-encounter spells, and you had your at-will spells. And it kind of feels like they've represented this in 5th edition with these spells that last a minute will last for your average combat. They might drop off at the end if if the combat drags on. Yeah, that's a real drag, but yeah. Yeah, it would have to be a really, really long combat to hit 10 rounds. But I I feel like they've kind of represented this by having some spells that last for one round or are instant. Some spells last a minute, which is the 
fifth edition equivalent of per encounter and there's some that are ones per long rest and abilities that are you know use up a spell slot that you don't get back for a long rest so you have to be a bit more careful about them but sanctuary is one of those where in theory you can just turn to one of your allies or a creature that you're trying to protect like an npc that you're trying to protect let me just check the targeting on that a creature within range so it means that the enemies have to make a wisdom saving throw to be able to hit it otherwise they have to choose a different target and that really adds some utility in terms of protection mm-hmm. shield of faith so that's plus two to another creature second level gentle repose lesser restoration magic weapon misty step from fate touched yep. the reason i've chosen that is so that if you need to get to someone quickly you can get to them. that's a good you point. can get 30 if somebody is about to go down or yeah. an enemy is about to just batter them put the boot in yeah yeah then you can get to them a lot quicker with Misty Step. Spiritual Weapon, which is a favourite of clerics, and for anybody who doesn't know about it, you create a floating spectral weapon within range that lasts for the duration, which is one minute. So again, that'll last mostly for the encounter. When you cast the spell, you can make a melee attack against the creature within five feet of the weapon. On a hit, the target takes force damage, equal to 1d8 plus your spell casting ability modifier. As a bonus action on your turn, you can move the weapon up to 20 feet and repeat the attack against a creature within five feet of it. Mm. So essentially, it gives you, as a bonus action, it gives you a second attack that's floating around the battlefield separate from you. That is a favourite of clerics because the weapon can take whatever form you choose. Clerics of deities who are associated with a particular weapon make this spell's effect resemble that weapon. So you can have it represent, I believe, Father Pridwin, who was one that I did before. His his spiritual weapon was a set of scales that would just knock someone about the head. Obviously, Critical Role, famously, you have Jester who created it in the form of a bladed lollipop. (laughs) Just because that fit the character's fluff, you had... Shakasta because he decided to create his spiritual weapon in the form of a bust of B. Arthur. Yeah, and Nefertiti. And Nefertiti, yeah. So that spiritual weapon, that's always a good one to take as a cleric. At third level, Beacon of Hope. Choose any number of creatures within range. For the duration, each target has advantage on wisdom saving throws and death saving throws and regains the maximum number of hit points possible from any healing. So to me... When things are starting to go wrong, you switch from Bless to Beacon of Hope because it's a concentration spell, so you can only have one or the other. So if you're taking a healing potion while you've got Beacon of Faith up, max hit points. I've also got Dispel Magic at third level. Revivify, which as I've explained, most DMs, by the time you've reached level five, would be starting to say, if you search the loot, within the loot you find a diamond. It is worth, you know, 500 points or more. And Spirit Guardians, which I think that's from War Cleric, but Spirit Guardians is kind of an AoE spiritual weapon. You can have both, because Spiritual Weapon does not require concentration. So you can concentrate on Spirit Guardians and sit there, annoying everyone, and send your little Spiritual Weapon around to go and twat things. There's nothing else really that I wanted to to mention about this character apart from... All of this, the spells, the background traits and everything, is coming to basically a character who was trained as a battlefield medic. They suffered a crushing defeat. And so for them, their whole raison d'etre as a character is nobody is fucking going down on my watch. Okay, cool, cool. 
The problem really that like I have it. is that fluff suits a grave cleric more. Because grave clerics, you are not dying on my watch. Kind yeah. of fluff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But there's nothing stopping you from playing... If you were to play a life domain the same way, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Also, I think that Grave Cleric is also about... You can suddenly make something weak to the damage from the next attack. So, essentially, you're giving out auto-crits. And if someone crits on top of that, that is an insane <laughs> amount of damage. And if you give that to a paladin and the paladin does a smite, you're talking about a ludicrous amount of damage. I guess that's one of the problems we're, that I... We're talking about the Grave Cleric then, not yeah. the Lord Domain. <laughs> well, one of the problems that I had when I was looking at this was it is a tanky cleric. Mm-hmm. I think we've mentioned before with a cleric, you can build tanky because they're starting equipment. You can get chainmail and mm-hmm. things like that. Like, I've got a shield and chainmail, and so I've got a starting AC of 80. And again, I'm just using the starting equipment. If you had played this character up to level 5, you might have half plate up to this point. You might even be lucky enough to have gotten full plate. Yeah. Especially um, if you fought something that had full Like a um, Helmed Horror yeah. is CR3, so that has full plate. Or looting someone's armory or finding someone a loot table. You might have heavier armor than chainmail at that point. The problem that I had mm-hmm. when I was looking at the fact that I'm building an armored cleric is why am I not doing a paladin? And War Cleric kind of makes up for that. I think we'll probably discuss this in the second half more. War Cleric gives you a bunch of cleric spells. No, try again. Yeah, I'm going to try again. (laughs) It gives you a bunch of paladin spells. So this War Cleric does feel more like... It feels like it's definitely drifting towards the paladin side of the equation. I'm biting my tongue because I have so many thoughts about this class, subclass. Well, how about we leave that until the second half? Yeah. We'll go through yours. We're recording downstairs today because Britain heat. I have temporarily relocated the whiteboard that we normally have with reminders. Race, languages, one choice. I did choose Celestial, obviously. (laughs) My ability score increases. I put one in Wisdom and one in Strength. There is a reason for this. Skills... I chose Deception. Okay, this is going in an interesting direction already. And the feat is Resilient Constitution. I was a gnat's wing away from also taking Warcaster. It could have happened. If you build to level four, you you can get two Two feats. You absolutely can take Warcaster as your second feat, especially if you've got a decent enough wisdom score. You shouldn't be afraid of that. You increase the chosen ability score by 1 to a maximum of 20 and you gain proficiency in saving throws using the chosen ability so if you didn't know what resilient does and you can choose that for any one of the 6 stats so if you're playing I don't know the proficiencies in saving throws off the top of my head I'm pretty sure monk is strength and dex and if you keep getting mind controlled, mm. for example, because of intelligence, charisma, or wisdom saving throws, then you can choose resilient to counteract which, that. Which stat did you resilient again? Con. Right. Okay. okay that's good. So it's a plus one in con mm-hmm. and proficiency in con saving throws. Oh, okay. So you get a little bit of Warcaster. I sometimes prefer it to Warcaster. I did take the additional cleric spells optional feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really look at what they were. I just figure it's. It's, it's cantrip versatility and a couple of and a few extra spells. There is a level eight feature that maybe we can talk about later, mm. which depending on who you are is either great or not good. 
when it says, oh, Tasha's gives you extra spells for this class, it's like, it's extra spells. No, Unless yeah, yeah. your DM has specifically said, we're not allowing yeah. the extras, then yeah, take them. It's extra spells you can know. Whether you use them or not, you may as if, well. If your DM is saying, do not use the Tasha's extra stuff, your DM is telling you, I do not want to use the balancing that a lot of Tasha's rules gave to certain classes. Yeah. There's, there's a huge rebalancing in those features and codifying things that other people already... Let's not talk about it. Well, so, I think that we kind of touched on it last week, but a lot of the things that they added in Tasha's and Xanathar's are kind of patches for problems that have yeah. come up. I took medicine and insight as my proficiencies. Okay. They're both based off whiz, and as you'll see in a sec... I've got a good whiz score, so... I did actually take an ASI at level 4, and okay. I bumped my wisdom. Yeah, again, I think I've mentioned before, bumping wisdom for a cleric is... It's not only good for your cleric abilities, it's also the skills that scale off wisdom, like perception. How many times is perception a lifesaver? All of the times. Always, yeah. Yeah. So, standard array, 15 in whiz. So I gave a plus 1 to whiz with my 2 ability scores from being variant human which takes it to 16, and then I took a plus 2, so it's 18. I have 18 whiz. My 14 is in strength, and I did a plus 1 to strength, which gives me 15. This is here for a reason. It is necessary to have a strength of 15 to be able to wear full plate. Ah, okay. My 13 is in con, but this is why I took Resilient Constitution, because that turns that into a 14. So I still have 14 in Constitution. So I don't... I mean, I technically do still have to poo through my own letterbox. But I've given myself the 14 yeah. in Con anyway. Maybe if you have a little wee through your... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> meet yeah, halfway. Meet yeah. halfway. Or take some poo out of my letterbox that I've already put there. <laughs> um, I kept my dex as 12. My intelligence was 10. And my charisma was 8. And both dumped charisma. I could be persuaded to swap intelligence and charisma... It was more of a spur-of-the-moment thing. And when I get to theming and stuff, it'll kind of become a bit more apparent. Yeah, okay. I did take Soldier. I took the playing card set, as that just made a smidge more sense to me, Mm -hmm. that soldiers would play cards rather than dice or chess. But, I mean, much of a muchness, really, isn't it? I just chose dice because (laughs) D&D. Yeah, yeah. No one is going to tell you that you made the wrong choice there. Just, in my head, cards made more sense. Personal characteristics, personality traits... I can stare down a held hound without flinching. Ooh. I face problems head on. A simple, direct solution is the best path to success. Ideals. Responsibility. I do what I must and obey just authority. Bonds. I fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Flaws. My hatred of my enemies is blind and unreasoning. And I kind of went for a lawful neutral, maybe even lawful evil cleric here. My inspiration for this was the commissars from Warhammer 40,000. Oh, nice. So in Warhammer 40,000, in case you don't know, the Imperial Guard have commissars. And what they are is basically psychopaths. Yeah. (laughs) Who are attached to a unit, and where that unit would fail some sort of psychology check, whether that be fear, terror... I don't know what they are in current version. I'm I'm talking like three versions of at this point. You could have your commissar, if it was attached to that unit, just kill someone and they would automatically succeed. So I wanted this soldier to be someone who has dedicated themselves to the cause of war. 
yeah. which again makes sense with a the war cleric. Yeah, yeah, that they are dedicated to war as a. I don't want to say a good thing, but a kind of yeah. I like war. War's okay by me. I mm. worship a war god. There should continue to be war. Their name is Gemma Barley Spark. Fair enough. Barley Spark came up as part of the uh, random name generator. All right. I liked it. I found a picture I liked, and it was a um, a very stern-looking blonde lady. Mm. So I went with Gemma. Yeah. Because that's kind of a blonde white girl name. That's going to get me in trouble. You might want to cut that. It's all right. I'll just paste in the word Karen, and we'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, Gemma's and Karen's are pretty much... Gemma's are younger Karen's. I didn't say that. I don't know any Gemma's, so I'm fine. I don't think I know... I, I, I know a couple of Gemma's, and they're actually all all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mentioned that I had resilient constitution. I'm going to go through my saving throws. Plus two to strength, plus one to dex, plus five to constitution, plus zero to intelligence, plus seven to wisdom. Ouch. Plus two to charisma. So this is what going back to what I wanted to discuss a little earlier. You can argue back and forth whether a re-roll or a higher score is better. But if I roll and I'm blessed and I'm proficient, that is uh, this tier of play, level five, that's a minimum of plus four to whatever I roll by taking resilient constitution and being blessed. If I just take resilient constitution, that's plus three to every single time I roll a uh, constitution check. And Warcaster is advantage only for concentration checks. This is proficiency for every concentration check and every constitution save. Whether mm. that be... I think there are certain spells such like... Is it Toll the Dead that's a con save? There are poisons. There are other effects. Stunning Strike. Yeah, the last game that we played, we've just seen how someone with a high con save can really... Bugger the, up yeah. the party. Yeah, the monk managed to get there eventually, but I had to burn over half of my. Yeah, there was there was there was a hag, and you, I was worried that that combat encounter wasn't enjoyable because you kind of stun locked her and then destroyed her. Yeah, we we just panicked and thought hag because we'd faced the wonderful nanny earlier in the. You've never fought nanny. God knows we never fought nanny. No, you don't want um, to. I'm just going to spoil that bit for you right there. I'm pretty sure we don't. But we're higher level now. And this was a a less powerful hag, so it was one that we could face off against. But we did kind of feel like, oh god, we've started a fight with this hag now. So we just kill it with fire. (laughs) We panicked, and it was a case of, right, get the monk in there. But going back to what you were saying about having a high stat or advantage, another example of that is our paladin has the sentinel shield. So she has advantage on initiative. initiative, but she has a minus to initiative because she has a low dexterity. We can't sit here and go one's better than the other. Yeah, they're different. They're different, yeah. right? But if I'm blessed, I might as well just add more numbers on top. And for a con save, I've already got plus five and I'm blessed. Yeah. If I roll high, that's plus nine to the save. I'd have to roll supremely low to fail it. And at the level that you're at, the highest DC you're probably going to face is a DC 14. I mean, you haven't finished your build yet, obviously, but you could take Warcaster later, and then that means you've got advantage on a proficient save. Yeah. Which is, you're starting to approach paladin levels of invincibility there. Yeah, yeah, you're starting (laughs) to approach dickhead levels there. (laughs) And by level 12... 
which is a far far shot away from from level five. But at level twelve, I could have a maxed wisdom score and advantage for concentration checks with Warcaster. And I, do I want advantage in one situation, or do I want to be proficient in every situation that requires mm. a Constitution saving throw? And um, to me, the fact that you are a support character generally mm. as a cleric yeah. means that, that as a DM, I would be like. There's the support character. I'm going to send my nastiest bastard over to mm. poison it, stun it, shit on it, yeah. eat it, whatever it is. And, you know, a really good con save is going to... And think about the amount of spells that require a con save for half damage. I don't know. That's just that's just me. And if it does require a con save for half damage, you then have an even lower thing to mm. fight against. You have a lower DC with your proficient constitution saving throws yeah. maintain a concentration. That sort of layers and layers... Moving back to this, I've got a plus five to athletics, a plus two to deception. This is here because I was thinking about commissars in 40k, and they're kind of like, don't worry, we'll look after you, and then suddenly one of them's dead. (laughs) I know um, one of the guys is dead. Just sort of fluff wise, I know there's a whole series of, uh, I think it's Dan Abner has written a whole series of. Commissar Gorn. Oh, it it is Gorn. It's ghosts. Yeah, they've written a, a whole series about that. So if even if you're not into the game, that's supposed to be one of the better book series. The reason know. it's one of the better book series is because it throws a lot of the grim, dark commissar Gaunt genuinely cares about the people he's working with, and it's kind of stark contrast to what quote unquote supposed to happen. Um, my insight is plus seven. My intimidation is plus two. Oh, that's right, because I got intimidation as mm-hmm. part of soldier background. Yeah, I decided bugger it, I'm going to go for deception as well Mm. so that they're actually kind of this gruff, underhanded character. They can intimidate people, they can deceive them, and then my medicine is also plus seven. One of the things that I like about the soldier background that really works for yours is your background trait is that you have a military rank. Mm -hmm. So I'm just imagining you turning up and everybody going, oh shit, it's a commissar. Mm -hmm. It was inspired by that. This mm. this build went directions, by the way. I was going to turn up, and if anyone hears the bonus we did, I spoke about Shillelagh and Polar Master, mm. and I was thinking, what's the quickest way to get Shillelagh on a cleric? The answer is Magic Initiate Druid. Which I think I... You, you did for Father Pridwin. I did for Father Pridwin, yeah. Is it the best way is an entirely different matter. I will talk about that with Future mm. of the Build and multiclassing and stuff afterwards. I took the mace, I took the crossbow that you, you normally get. I did take Amulet of the Devout. Yeah, there's a couple of items that are sort of... I think wizards have a spell book. <coughs> We've mentioned the Bloodwell Vial for yeah, yeah, sorcerers. Yeah. There's something for warlocks. There's Dark Shard. Mod Amulet. Dark Shard Amulet. That is oh, actually... Go. That is what Eren has. Yeah. My warlock. There's a couple of items like that which are worth looking at because they're just good for spellcasters. So, my modifier, my spellcasting modifier is plus four, and there's nothing I can do to really change that. My spell attack modifier is plus eight, and my save DC is 16. Yeah, that that's pretty crazy. I think there was another character we built where I got the numbers that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's silly numbers to be playing with. That was the Budwell vial for your aberrant. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've done enough of these shows that we're now <laughs> questioning them. I took chainmail. I took a mace. I took a shield. Blah 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 blah. Spells. 
I took Guidance, Sacred Flame, Spare the Dying, Toll the Dead. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's basically what you took. You might have taken Thaumaturgy. Did you ever Toll the Dead? No. Okay. Guidance, Light, Sacred Flame, and Spare the Dying is what I took. Okay. There was a reason I didn't take Light, and that was Guiding Bolt, which is the first level spell that I took. Shoot that at someone, and when it hits, the next attack has advantage on them. Now, theme-wise, maybe the people at home have got this because I don't know if I have. I think the War Cleric presents a trap playstyle. The trap is picking the War Cleric over any other domain. No, is <laughs> the idea that you do get extra attack. With this, I have such high whiz, I now get four bonus action attacks a day because it's based on your wisdom score. I think if it was based on your proficiency bonus, it would be better because you wouldn't then have the conflict of, yes, I'm raising my wisdom score to get more attacks per day, extra attacks per day, but I can't use them because I'm sacrificing my strength score or not investing in my strength score the same way. I took Healing Word. Cure Wounds is a garbage spell and no one should pick Cure Wounds because it's touch. And in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, triage is usually better than healing as the video game top-up healing idea. I think Sanctuary is one of the spells that you get free, or I definitely took it. Shield of Faith, which adds plus two bonus to a creature of your choice. Mm. I took Aid. We've really seen that have a great effect in the home game, haven't we? Well, here's the thing. This kind of proves my point about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you give Aid, even at first level, that's five extra hit points. Cure Wounds is probably only doing twice that maximum. Mm. If you roll a one on that dice, even with my high wisdom score, that's five points of healing. Five points of not going down in the first place is worth more. And you can then use your bonus action to hit people with your sword. So you're not having to do healing word, etc, etc. I've got gentle repose, got magic weapon, which I think you get automatically. Spiritual weapon. And I took aura of vitality and Crusader's Mantle is added. I took is Enhance mag- Ability. Is Magic Weapon concentration? Just it, like is in, it is indeed. It concentrate. is, okay. I kind of hate it. I think the fact that you always know it is good. Yeah. Because the situations you're going to wander into where you're like, oh shit, the Barbarian has a mundane weapon and there's ghosts. In, the, in those yeah. kinds of niche situations, it's nice to not have to use up one of your spells known. You say that, but it's a cleric. And at this level, they've got turn undead. <laughs> well, turn undead, but I mean, there are other creature types that have... Uh, have weakness to... That have resistances yeah, of to course, mundane of course, of damage. It's because you said ghosts, and my, my brain automatically went to that. I just went to ghosts because you threw ghosts at us. No, this was your partner. No, who threw it was, a banshee yeah. at us. Yeah, she threw, she threw a banshee at us. and then, We're level like, three and we cried. Yeah, I had a fighter with just a normal greatsword. So, I want to talk about Divine Favour and Crusader's Mantle, which okay. are two paladin spells that get added to the War Cleric. In your head, when you think of the War Cleric, mm. it is a character who is upfront, personal, getting in there, smashing skulls with a mace. Yeah. You know, kind of like the War Bishop thing, you know, when the, the bishops used to ride to war, but they weren't allowed to spill blood, so they took maces. It gives me that kind of image. I have to say. The more you've said about Commissar, the more that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really makes sense as a way of thinking of War Cleric. But I think there is a conflict between what you should be doing as a War Cleric and what you think you should be doing as a War Cleric. What I think I should be doing as a War Cleric is making sure that I play as a Cleric... (laughs) 
to mm. support everyone to do more damage. And this is where Crusader's Mantle and Divine Favor are wicked. Crusader's Mantle is essentially Divine Favor, but it's a 30-foot radius. And each non-hostile creature in the aura deals an extra 1d4 radiant damage when it hits with a weapon attack. So can I just ask something? Yeah. Because you were saying about being able to, like, cast spells while still being in everyone's face. Does your character have a mace and shield? Yes. So how are you getting around needing a free hand to cast spells? Never using the mace. Okay, so you will equip it as part of the attack, but then... I think it's utterly pointless to be a weapon-wielding war cleric. There are builds that you can do. I'm looking specifically at the Nature Domain Cleric can pick, I should say, Shillelagh, and gets heavy armor proficiency and has shields. So, a Nature Cleric can take Polar Master and have more bonus action attacks than the War Cleric. And it's based off its wisdom. So at this point, if this was a variant human nature cleric, I might not have taken Resilient Constitution. I might have just taken Polar Master. And I have a guaranteed extra attack. I can wield it two hands as well, so I have one Mm. hand free for spellcasting if I want to do that. I think it's a contradictory idea that you should be wandering into combat and hitting people whilst also having these great spells that require concentration. And Mm. my build is far more about I am maintaining concentration and all my buddies around me, my barbarian, my paladin, my fighter, ranger, monk, rogue, especially dual-wielding rogues, with Crusader's Mantle, you all get an extra d4 of radiant damage. Yeah. Radiant is really, 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 really unresisted. There are very few creatures that resist radiant. I also like the idea that if you've got a cleric in the party, your DM will probably throw undead at you at some point just so the cleric can have his big... His big moment. Yeah, his big moment. And if you're doing radiant damage... But, like, if you're in a party with a squishy wizard and a sorcerer, this is utterly useless. Mm. And in that case, you can run in and be Billy Big Bollocks with a, with a mace or a hammer yeah. or whatever. Like, run for it. That's that's cool. But realistically, if you look at our party, Crusader's Mantle would add an extra d4 of Radiant to all of your monk attacks. So if you do your two attacks and flurry of blows, mm-hmm. that's your two axe attacks, 1d8, mm-hmm. plus your dex mod, plus 1d4 Radiant. And then 2d6 plus your dex mod, plus 1d4 Radiant. That is an extra 4d4 points of Radiant damage. If you look at the Paladin, she's doing two attacks with extra Radiant damage. If she chooses to smite and it's undead, that's colossal amounts of damage. Yeah. In our party, that would also affect, if you can get the ranges right, my partner's character with her bow and Artemis, the little rat. Like, that's a mind-boggling ability. Yeah. So why on earth would I spend my bonus action hitting with a mace, or using a mace at all, when for one action I can make nine attack... I can make 94 radiant damage? Yeah, you've made a, a really good point about abilities there, which is sometimes people look at just, this adds a D8, whereas this only adds a D4. Well, then the D8 is clearly superior, but you have to weigh up the fact that of, like, uh, how many people can you do? That Any non-hostile creature. If you're in a party of four frontliners, that's a ranger, a rogue, a paladin, and a barbarian, hmm. and each of them gets an extra d4 of radiant hmm. damage to every attack they land, 
That's a, a stupid amount of damage. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, Critical Role, they've got seven people in their party at the moment. That's 7d4 that at you least, just added. At assuming least. that none of them have pets or constructs or anything like that. I mean, if half of them have extra attack, that's suddenly gone up to 10d4 of radiant damage. Yeah. And, like, a lot of the time, you and I will sit here and go, and then if, and then if... But, mm-hmm. but like without adding all the and if it's undead that would be doubled and da 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 yeah let's just talk about 11d4 if we're assuming critical <laughs> role are doing it and everyone's yeah. within 30 feet it's a big assumption but let's assume that everyone's within 30 feet which is a decent range and you're just behind the front line there's all the enemies in front of you you're chilling like a villain one action here mm. you go everyone gets an extra d4 to every attack they do it might be melee attack it's a weapon attack Okay, weapon attack. So I was thinking about that in terms of obviously you're going to have spellcasters who are going to be casting cantrips and things like that. Um, Booming blade, one d eight plus one d eight weapon oh damage God. plus one d four. We're off again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's the best ability I've ever heard, but it's a good one. It's a really good one, and like this is this is the trick to my build mm. is to pretend that that first level feature doesn't exist. Yeah. And once you've run out of spell slots and can't healing word anymore, yeah, run around with a mace. Yeah. <laughs> See, my problem with pretending that that ability doesn't exist is that, to me, it felt like, well, then I'm not using War Cleric. But in your thing, you are very much using War Cleric and you're yeah. very much using War Cleric flair. And there are going to be situations that are going to come up where you're going to be like, you know what? I don't have the spell slots left. I've got nothing else to do with my bonus action. I may as well smack someone. Well, let's take Crusader's Mantle. If you have already cast Crusader's Mantle and you've run out of spell slots... Now you can just go to town with your two extra attacks for the rest of the combat. Yeah. Sorry, your one extra attack for the rest of combat. And now you're doing 1d6 plus 1d4. And you're making up. The thing to point out is that at low levels, you get three first level spell slots? Two first level spell slots at first level. Two first level spell slots. Okay. At first and second level, when you go from... I think that's two to three, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. what happens there. Casting divine favour on yourself and using your extra attacks is a really good thing to do. If you haven't got a paladin or anything, you can suddenly waltz into combat, you use your two attacks, you're doing two extra d4 of damage. This is with divine favour, not Crusader's Mantle. Crusader's Mantle's a third level spell. Yeah. And you can play the frontliner at that point. After that, I think the the validity and the value of War Cleric just completely plummets. As soon as you get yeah. Spiritual Weapon, your Spiritual Weapon does more damage than Divine Favour. So, yeah, that's Gemma Barley Spark. We've had a little bit of discussion, but I think we should probably take a break. Then I have big thoughts. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I want to say about Clerics in general and War Clerics in particular, yeah. which I think will follow on, but we'll come back after a little bit of break. Yeah, the TLDR yeah. for my character is pretend that first level feature doesn't exist, it's crap. <laughs> Build a cleric, go heavy on those paladin spells. I think with yours, the best way to think about that bonus attack is to just think it's there if you've got nothing else to do. When you run out of spell slots as a cleric, you've got cantrips. And if this ability was, you can attack as a bonus action four times a day, you could still do something like Sacred Flame and then bonus attack. Mm. And I think that would be really good. If instead this was at level six you got extra attack as opposed to a different channel divinity, yeah. 
that's basically your original Channel Divinity, but for other people, I think this would be an amazing class, especially with Divine Favor and Crusader's Mantle. Otherwise, I think you build a cleric and you go, hey, I've got Crusader's Mantle. Like, if you have a party of guys that all get extra attack, Crusader's Mantle suddenly elevates your party to, like, a ridiculously high level. Well, like you said, anything that adds damage to each attack... If you've got a monk in your party, you know, you're firing all, on all and cylinders. cylinders yeah. yeah, yeah. So, let's go yeah. for a break. I need a drink and we'll need go a cough. For a break. Yeah. Okie doke. Um, I'd just like to amend a point that I was starting to make and didn't. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying that chocolate bar? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> It's lovely. I'm eating on a podcast. It's incredibly unprofessional. Oh, who gives a shit? Anyway, I mentioned that I don't think that Magic Initiate Druid is the best way to get Shillelagh on your cleric. I think the quote-unquote best way is to take two levels of Ranger and go Druidic Warrior. I think you mentioned that last week. Yeah, because to take it to level five, that would be three levels of cleric and two levels of ranger. You're not too behind on spell slots. It also means that you can then take ranger to level five for extra attack, and you can get a quasi-action surge a few times a day by going, okay, I do my two attacks, and then I do my bonus attack on top, and I've got shillelagh. You, you can pick a club. You can do that club and board, if you will. You can have the shield in one hand, the club in the other. You're doing three attacks, all D8s. Yeah. You can chuck Divine Favor on top of that. That becomes pretty mm. good. You mentioned that you also wanted to... Also Hunter's Mark, if you've got two levels of Ranger. You could take Hunter's Mark, but I am going off Hunter's Mark and Hex because I feel as though when there are so many other things you could be doing with your bonus action, moving that spell becomes a little bit less good. And one of my favourite dips in the game is one level of War Cleric. Because to multi-class, you need at least a 13 in a stat. If you take that to 14, this is the ifs and whens and buts and things again, but say you're a fighter with a wisdom of 14... That means twice a day you cast Divine Favor. You then, at level 6, would be able to do your two attacks. Action Surge for two more attacks. Bonus Action Attack. That's five attacks with an extra D4 of Radiant on top. For a Ranger, very similar thing. You put Divine Favor on top. If you're dual wielding, you attack twice and a third time. And that's 3D4 compared to the 2d6 you would have ordinarily got. And if you kill that target and have to move it as your next bonus action, next turn, you still only get 2d6 and you don't get your extra bonus attack. And then if you think in terms of bonus attack, you've gone from 4d6 versus 6d4, which is the same maximum number. 4 times 6 is 24, 6 times 4, yeah. Same maximum number, but the average would be... 4 times 4, 16, versus Mm. 6 times 3, 18. So the average damage is higher. Here's the other thing. War Cleric on a Monk? Holy hell. You set up your first turn with Divine Favor. Your next turn, you you do your Flurry of Blows. You've added four extra dice. If one of those is a crit, you've doubled those dice. That's insane levels of damage. Well, you kind of got a version of that in Critical Role when Caleb learnt uh, Enlarge 
they went through the habit of creating swell regard because at that point she had her two basic attacks plus flurry of blows and she was adding what is it d4 I think, it's, I think it's bigger than that for any well it, it was basically it was you add this damage dice to each of that person's attack which if you've got a character who can only attack once per round it's like pfft, don't bother but if you've got a monk who's attacking multiple times per round kind of similar to what I was saying about the Diablo 3 monk yeah. where you have the way of the hundred hands or whatever it was called which is where your basic at will attack that you do as a monk it changes from it like doing three reasonable damage attacks to ten very mm-hmm. weak attacks but each one of those hits has a chance of triggering anything you've got in your armor that triggers on a hit. Mm. So it means you basically you, you load up your armor with everything that goes off on a hit. And as well as going for crit fishing, so the damage you're doing is irregular, but overall it probably levels out as, as mm-hmm. quite high. But you also have that terrifying thing where you're, you're risking constantly low health because you're getting it back every time you hit. Absolutely. It, it is an extra D4 for enlarge. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If your monk is in a party with a wizard and your monk has taken a dip in war cleric, mm-hmm. congrats you well done. <laughs> that is four attacks with two extra D4s for each attack. Yep. <laughs> in one round someone yeah. enlarged you you divine favoured and you just smashed everything yeah you, you just have a monk that's going around annihilating Didn't, everything yeah th- that's scary the monk becomes scary at that point so I do want to defend the war cleric as one of my favourite one level dips the monk can benefit from it benefit from it the ranger can benefit from it the fighter can benefit from it like if you action surge and use your bonus action mm. to do that bonus attack that becomes five attacks at level five yeah. or level six because that's when you'd get the thing you start to go from a good round to an absolute crescendo and for things that do multiple attacks and especially when there is the idea that rangers should be dual wielding i think divine favor for a one level dip is insane absolutely insane yeah One thing I wanted to mention in terms of getting your opinion on something that I looked at for my character. Because I was looking at making them like the ultimate healer. And one of the feats that I looked at was the healer feat. I want to get your opinion on it because I was looking at it and I was thinking, oh, you get Spare the Dying plus they come up with, I think it's 1d4 hit points or something. Uh, I can't remember. For a healer's kit... I will look that up now. The main thing about it is you can heal, I think it's 1d6 plus something. I mean, you're looking it up, so you'll clarify. Okay, so when you use a healer's kit to stabilise a dying creature, that creature also regains one hit point. Oh, it's just the one hit point. And a healer's kit usually is spare the dying, but not a cantrip. Yeah. As an action, you can spend one use of the healer's kit to turn to a creature and restore 1d6 plus 4 hit points to it, plus additional hit points equal to the creature's maximum number of hit dice. The creature can't regain hit points from this feat again until it finishes a either short or long rest. So, the thing about the healer's kit, because I looked at that and I was thinking, that's brilliant because when you run out of spell slots, you can still heal. As long as you've been into town and Mm -hmm. bought some healer's kits, if you run out of slots for healing, you can just use that. Or the big thing that I was thinking is you can heal outside of combat Mm -hmm. without burning through spell slots in advance of the next combat. However, if you're healing outside of combat, you probably want to be taking a short rest instead, don't you? Yeah. 
So that was what I wanted to get your opinion on the usefulness of that feat, because when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And then I kind of went back to, no, this is useless. And then I thought, I can't work out if this is good or useless or not. <laughs> uh, th this is not a Steve special. This is something Steve has read. Yeah. Okay. There is a wombo combo you can do mm -hmm. where you take a thief rogue who can use an item as a bonus action. Ah. And you use a healer's kit as a bonus action. Uh, you take the healer feet, and then you can literally just go around with what amounts to almost the same as uh, healing potions worth of healing. Mm. I'm just thinking for a rogue, that's like hide as an action. Then you can choose yeah. to do that as an action. Yeah, hide as hide as an action. I know you can do it as a bonus action, but you hide as an action, and then you scuttle over to the person who's injured, and then you he you heal them for one d six points as a bonus action. How do you work out where it says plus some damage based on their maximum health? Because yeah, Maximum hit dice. Maximum hit dice. So okay. that would, essentially, it's equal to their level. Oh, yeah, no, I get it now. Because yeah. when you first read it out, I was like, how's that work? But so it's, that does... it's 1d6 plus 4 plus level. So it yeah. actually does scale. It scales, but it, it doesn't scales scale poorly. in the way... It scales, but it doesn't scale in the way other things do, like no. scaling off your wisdom or your proficiency bonus. The thing that's good about that, though, is one of the things that 4th edition did was... This is me relaying secondhand something that I've heard about 4th edition, but it kind of put the onus on how much gets healed on the person who is healed rather than the, the healer. You're right, okay. So the healer just casts a healing spell, and how good it is depends on how healthy the person that's receiving oh, okay. it that's, is. okay, that's interesting, actually. And I quite like that. There's a bit of that in the healer skill, where if you're healing a level 1 wizard, it's like... If you're actually, healing a level 10 fighter, it would have more of an effect on a level 1 wizard, wizard. wouldn't it? That's the thing. For a wizard, 1d6 plus 4 might even be more than <laughs> And plus 1 because of the um, the level they're at. That might actually be all their hit points. Yeah. So if you go over to someone, you know, your wizard's been attacked, you go over. If, you, if you're taking a variant human rogue with the healer's feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, boop, you're back up as an action. Yeah. Go over and do that. The yeah. wizard's back up and goes, Haha, bitches, magic missile. Yeah. And like I said, if you're using hide as your action... Yeah, you can just run around and... Really hide. Yeah. Okay, so the ultimate healer is the Life Domain Cleric. Yeah. I'm sure there is technically... I think it's the Dreams Druid, not the Stars Druid. Because Dreams, Stars, and Moon, in my head, those three words suddenly blur into nighttime. I'm sure it's the Dream Druid. The Dream Druid can do like some crazy healing. But if you're wanting to be the ultimate healer cleric... The Life Cleric adds an extra something mm. that I'm going to look up now because I can't remember off the top of my head. Every healing spell, first level or higher, creature regains additional hit points equal to two plus the spell's level. The reason I said before, like, making the ultimate healer is obviously making the best healer that I can with the race subclass that we've got. If you'd have taken healer at level one and bought a healer's kit, yeah. which I'm now thinking I should have added a healer's kit to the list yeah. uh, of items I bought, at level one and two, you are a bomb diggity healer. <laughs> what As an action, you go up to someone, and instead of wasting a spell slot with Cure Wounds, which does, what, 1d6 plus your wiz mod? It's d8. Is it d8 plus your wiz mod? Yeah. Okay, that works roughly out to a maximum of 11 hit points. But the minimum, presuming you've got a plus three wiz mod, would be four hit points, whereas the minimum for a healer's kit would be six. 
So it's an action and you, and not using a spell slot. Healer's kit is 1d6 plus 4, so minimum is 1. Okay. Plus 4 is 5. Plus and the maximum oh, right, hit dice, yeah. so that'd be minimum of 6, even at level 1. So, yeah. in theory, a healer's kit is better well, that, at that level. Yeah, that was the thing that I was looking at with this was to be able to make them as best a healer as they could because I sort of thought if they are a war cleric they're probably going to have seen a lot of Mm. war and if your job is to heal on a battlefield you're going to have seen the worst if you can heal that if you can make that better that's probably going to become your focus with wizards Mm. as in the class yeah there are scarier things they can do than cast fireball a magic spell that does damage does a lot of damage but there are scarier things they could do Hypnotic pattern, synaptic static, mind sliver, no, what's the other one? Mind spike, fairy fire, all these things, which then they give the paladin advantage. So as opposed to just doing some damage, which you might succeed on the the roll, the actual thing that's scary is, oh, I've lit them up and now they can still succeed on the roll. But instead of taking half damage, they now take all the damage from the paladin, which is, when you work out with passive buffs and things more than well even level one you've got something like fairy fire which is advantage to everything in the area you've got the monk running around with advantage at that point on everything you've got the paladin go runs up to the big guy and uses their biggest smite they can on them okay so there is the way of mercy monk which is my favorite monk because you can heal people with your i think it's with your flurry of blows it might even just be your bonus action attack i have to admit the more of the other monk classes that I've gone through, the more I've sort of thought, oh, I wish I'd taken that. If you but want to read... No, 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 no. no, no. That's no, no. With, with Bodron, the reason that I took Drunken Master is because I thought, he's a dwarf. And I know that's a bit racist to be like, dwarves are all drunks, but they have fun drinking and it doesn't affect them as much. High-functioning alcoholics. <laughs> kind, kind of, yeah. They're, we they're don't have any of those. They're having fun with it, and they're not really having problems with it because of no. a race. So It's not that they're all drunk, it's just they have a proclivity for drunkenness. So ha- Hand of Healing is a way of Mercy Monk. For a, as an action, spend a key point, heal equal to your martial arts die plus your whiz mod. Hmm. When you use your Flurry of Blows, which only costs a key point, you can replace one of the unarmed strikes with the use of this feature without spending a key point. So at level 3, you in theory have... That's three healings. I think use of a healer's kit, if you took Thief and Life Domain Cleric, (laughs) which is a bit of a weird combo. You could get that by level four. Yeah, but I was just thinking about, as one of the spells that I I mentioned, you could just take Aura of Vitality, though, at level five, admittedly, and heal everyone consistently. You could take Beacon of Hope, which is regains the maximum number of hit points possible from any healing. So that would include your healer's Healing's kit. kit. It is a concentration spell, though. But, <sighs> yeah, as, but I, like, as I said, that's... to me, Beacon of Hope is when, when shit starts really going bad, you switch from Bless to Beacon of Hope, which I'm pretty sure I've seen in Critical Role they did that, and it was a big switch. But I can't help feeling that if you'd have used... Let's talk at fifth level here. Yeah. If you'd used Crusader's Mantle, the thing would already be dead. Again, that's a big balance thing in D&D, is the difference between... Do we try and survive this, or do we just try and burn it down as quickly as possible without risking having to heal? But if you take something down as quickly as possible, you then use your last spell slot, Healing Word, mm. Healer's Kit, whatever you want to use. Remember, it is a DC 10. I don't know if many people know this. It is a DC 10 Wisdom check to stabilise someone. 
medicine oh. check. It's a DC 10 okay. medicine check to stabilise someone. Is that wisdom based? Yeah. But I've got enhanced ability as yeah. a cleric at level 3, I think the enhanced ability is. And you go around and you go, medicine check, medicine check, medicine check, medicine check. <laughs> okay, yeah, wicked. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my medicine's really high. What have I got? A plus seven? That's a minimum of a three to roll on a dice. Yeah. To stabilise someone. So... If I've run out of smells like Those are cleric things. Variant human. I would rather have taken any other cleric and taken polar master and spent 20 GP, I think it is, for a whole bird and had a more reliable bonus action. Yeah. If I actually wanted to fight as a cleric. I was going to say frog domain is usually the most popular one, isn't it? What? Forge. Frog domain. Frog domain. Yeah. Yeah, Forge Domain's really popular because you can, even at really silly low levels, you can give yourself a plus one magic item or a plus one shield slash armour. Ooh, the blessing of the Forge. I touched my shield and now my shield gives me plus three. I took Chainmail. My AC's at 19 at level one. (laughs) Oh, no, it's still at 18, but I've got a plus one hammer. It's basically an infusion. Oh, I'm with a paladin. Plus one. Oh, there's ghosts. You've got a magic weapon. Yeah, go on, mine. (laughs) I think the the Forge Cleric does an even better job of being the War Cleric than the War Cleric does. You get to strengthen your armours and you get to add to magic weapons and things. Also, I think every other Cleric is a better War Cleric <laughs> than the War Cleric. You can just take Polar Master or Great Weapon Master or blah 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 and, and have that. Especially if you add Shillelagh. And if you're the Nature Domain, you can concentrate on taking things that boost your attack because you're now attacking with your Wisdom. Are there any other subdomains that give you those cleric spells? None. Because I thought the advantage would be the extra bonus attack, but to me the bonus of War Cleric is that it gives you the Paladin spells, spells. which, as we've demonstrated, some of them are nice. I mean, I'm just just looking at Tasha's, because there's optional class features for the cleric. None of those spells are added to the cleric in general. So they still only remain with war cleric. They are war cleric only. And I think there is a tendency for everyone who talks about Dungeons and Dragons to do what we're kind of doing, which is talk about each class in isolation. If I'm in a party with frontline fighters, or even a a ranger and a fighter who use bows and things, Crusader's Mantle is literally the best thing you could be doing with your cleric and the stock of the war cleric when played as hey I brought this wicked paladin spell you never (laughs) knew about becomes top tier especially at 5th level and beyond as a multi-class for things that might also have wisdom rangers monks one level just to get divine favour wow what a powerhouse on its own though with here is your domain feature which you don't use pointless and in theory you get extra attack should be whoop 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 yeah but it causes problems because it uses up the bonus action slot which there's so many more things you want to do with that at level 1 and 2 it's awesome at level 3 you want spiritual weapon instead there is an argument for when you hit level 5 and you've got crusader's mantle instead and everyone's benefiting from that. And then you're doing your two attacks and they've got the D4 on top instead of using Spiritual Weapon for Concentration. Maybe. But even then, you could just take Spirit Guardians and do a crap load of damage then. Here's an idea. At later levels, when you're not using that ability anymore, 
the extra, the, bonus, the extra action the bonus action attack, rather than having those three things sit there, do nothing, have that as like, I don't know if it would overcomplicate the class if you had it as like, kind of like the monk's key points. So, you know, you get other abilities that use mm-hmm. the key points. If you could use those points for something else. So uh, when you get to level five, instead of using an attack as a bonus action, you could give them a little bit of like the quicken spell or something. So you know, I you love the idea of this feature. Yeah. It needs one tweak. I don't know whether that one tweak is to move it to level six so you just get extra attack and you can still use Healing Word as a bonus action or whatever you need to do. Because like two attacks and spiritual weapon, that's some killer stuff there. I don't know whether it should be that or whether it should be you may attack as a bonus action this many times a day regardless of what you do as your action. So how about as a fix that three times a day feature at level five instead of attacking as a bonus action you can attack twice as part of your action. So if you want to you can use one of those charges to attack twice as if you were a martial class because then you're not overpowering the class and making it really compete with paladins but you are pushing it in that paladin direction then. Maybe level six if you really wanted to sort of say you're not really a martial class. But the reason I say level six is because that's when the blade singer gets it, that's when the valor and swords bard get it. Yeah, so it kind of feels like if you're going to give that capability to a class... To a full casting class, yeah. let's have it be level six. There are that's other... Fair enough. The warlock gets extra attack at level five as an invocation... But then they also don't get fighting styles. Neither do the full casters, but a warlock isn't a full caster either. So warlocks are their own thing and they live in yeah. their own little warlock world. <laughs> yeah. And whereas if you look at most full caster classes that get extra attack, it's level six. It's also important to remember that the level six feature for the war cleric is guided strike, sorry, but for other people. It's called War God's Blessing. Yeah. It's the same feature, <laughs> but you can now give it to other people in a 30 foot radius. That should have been the thing that was that many times a day. <laughs> and Channel Divinity should have been War God's Blessing all along, and at level 6 you should have got extra attack. Mm. If you were to fix the War Cleric, it still wouldn't behave like a Paladin, because, yeah, you're doing two attacks, but you you could still do two attacks if you wanted to, or you could set up Spiritual Weapon and heal someone, or, or whatever, as your bonus action. Yeah, It being relegated to a bonus action is what makes it a superb one-level dip. Like, beyond amazing one-level dip. It's up there with one level of fighter. I think you actually get heavy armor proficiency as well if you take one level of War Cleric. So, yeah, and two spell slots and Divine Favor. Well, if I'm a martial character, the stock of that is... I really want to like the War Cleric. Can I run you through some alternative builds that I did. I've got one myself. I've got one myself. Right, because I believe at some point in the distant past, I said I'd spoken to my wife Cara about this. She just talked me through a bunch of more like sort of bouncing ideas off her. And I came up with the idea of doing like either a Valkyrie or a Shield Maiden. Mm. Because this is variant human, one of the few things that is difficult to get working is, I think it's Shield Master, yeah. the feat. Because, especially for casters, because if you're going to be relying on having a shield on all the time, you kind of need Warcaster as well. So it's a difficult one to build within the constraints of this. 
And the idea behind that was going to be sort of protection. I was thinking of taking a dip into something that would give me a fighting style so I could take the protection fighting style. Yeah. Which is, as long as you're wielding a shield, if someone's within five foot of you, you can just go, boop, disadvantage. So I was imagining somebody who then goes over to somebody who's down in combat, stands next to them, and if somebody tries to stab the downed person, you're sort of like blocking them with your shield. Yeah, yeah. I had an idea of doing that, and also kind of with a little bit of the Valkyrie flair of being like, you know, guardians at the gate of death. But then I started to think with that, you're going to be better off with grave cleric than war cleric. I mean, 99 times out of 100, you're going to be better off with grave cleric. With any, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, here's the thing. Mm. We are both sat here going, how would we fix it? How would we change it? The benefit is this. So how do I make that usable for the actual character who actually gets that benefit? Mm. And the fact of the matter is, take it as a one-level dip, or you you take it to second level and run with something else, which is virtually the same thing. <laughs> like, if you want a cleric that gets extra attack, multi-class into ranger, or fighter. Probably ranger so that you've got the, the extra spell slots and you can take Hunter's Mark and things like that. I still prefer Divine Favor, I think. Yeah. Because, again, another thing I should point out, Hunter's Mark is a D6 of the damage of that type. If that's non-magical damage that you're doing, it's just an extra D6 which is still resisted. Whereas this is 1D4 radiant damage, which means it's actually magical and cannot be resisted. Again, I think Divine Favor works out in that regard. Yeah. It should be the coolest bloody thing on the planet. Another direction that I I started thinking about this because unfortunately we had obviously the, the recording break because of COVID. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking during the break was to retool it into a great weapon fighter build. I so just having having somebody running around with a two-handed weapon, mm-hmm. you've got the... Uh, I always get these confused, but whichever one it is that gives you cleave. Yeah, Great Weapon Master. So if you either kill something or crit something, you get a bonus attack on something else. Mm -hmm. You can have a cleric that is running around with a greatsword, which is not something you can do very often. Yeah, I don't think you would have to take Warcaster with that because, you know... You just drop a hand and... Yeah, yeah. just drop a hand and cast. You're still holding on to the two-handed weapon with one hand, you know, slinging it over your shoulder, berserk slash Dark Souls style. But you do get, I mean, you also, like I said, you get the feat that used to be called Power Attack. I still think of it as Power Attack from 3rd Edition, where you get to, you know, you drop your to-hit roll by 5 to turn up the damage. Yeah, that's, that's Great Weapon Master does that. Yeah, and it so also, you, if you score a critical hit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to a hit from zero hit points with one, you can make one melee, melee weapon attack as a bonus action. Yeah, so it does take up your bonus action slot. And we're saying, both of us, that this bonus action attack is completely fucking pointless. It's a niche thing, mm. but it's like there's a whole feat that's just as niche as this feature that the war cleric gets. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. Okay, you have a one in five chance of rolling a crit. But you have a much higher chance if you add Stack Divine Favor on of dealing that damage. Mm. Great Weapon Master is absolutely awesome when you're a Barbarian or a Paladin or Fighter and you're making two attacks. Because you go, okay, it doesn't matter if I miss with this one. I've got my other attack. The meta build, quote-unquote, of Great Weapon Master, Polar Master is you can still use Great Weapon Master with the Polar Master's (laughs) 1d4 attack. So you suddenly got... (laughs) Minus five to hit for three attacks, plus ten damage to three attacks. Yeah. And you can take the gamble of minus five to do the extra damage, 
because you've got extra attack. Mm. Especially if you're a martial character. Or a reliable extra attack. One thing I did want to say is I was reading an article the other day. I won't go into the, yeah. what the article was saying, but it was explaining how two-handed fighting styles work. And the first thing that it had in the disadvantages section, literally the first thing they got to is it uses up your bonus action. And then just went on and said, like, you can do this with your bonus action. You can do this with your bonus... You know, there's so many... If you take the shield master feat mm. for your bonus action, you knock someone prone. Is that right? Can you knock them prone? When I read the description, it said you can knock them five feet back. Everybody else who's been discussing it has been said saying prone, so I clearly skipped over the word prone. You can shove a creature within five feet. A shove is either to knock them back or knock them prone. Ah, okay. So that's why. Which obviously, if you're in a group that's not using advantage rules for flanking, then you can get advantage for everybody else by just twatting them with your shield and knocking them over. So here's here's a thing for you. There's a war cleric with the shield master feet who hits someone, knocks them to the ground, and they already cast Crusader's Mantle. (laughs) So now everyone has advantage and gets an extra d4 to every single one of their attacks. That's really kicking them when they're down. <laughs> literally. Literally <laughs> kicking them when they're down. I'm worried that the, the listeners might think I'm getting caught up in the idea of 1d4 radiant damage. Isn't that great? There's a reason that Divine Favor was originally on the Paladin... No, it still is on the Paladin spell list. Because you're adding 1d4 radiant at level 2. That's when you can pick that. And you can do that twice a day. When you might still need to cure wounds someone or bless or bane or at level 3 depending on what subclass you pick Hunter's Mark Hex and things like that Yeah, there's all those extra things that you could be doing it kind of baffles me a little Mm. bit that we've got a class which says in its abilities you should be in melee combat but does not actually do what it needs to do in melee combat the reason Shieldmaster would be good on a cleric as opposed to just taking the shove action Mm. with your attack is that you can do it twice. You can shove with your attack and then shove with your shield if you fail. Basically, it gives you advantage on the check. That's kind of what extra attack is in a fashion. It's kind of advantage when you want to do something like Great Weapon Master. An extra attack gives you advantage on that. And like you can do that with the Cleric, but you're devoting a feat, split ability scores between strength and wisdom, to do three extra ones of those attacks a day if you only have a 16 in wisdom. And I'm just... It's contradictory. Like, right, we want you to split your stats so that you're a jack-of-all-trades and master of fuck-all. <laughs> and I think if you just concentrate on going, do you know what? Bugger it. I'm going to maximise my wisdom score so that if I need to do my extra attack, I've got four to five of those a day when I've run out of spell slots. And for the rest of the time, I'm going to sit in between the archer and the melee combatant exactly 15 feet apart from the two, chilling like a villain as Mm. they add a d4 of radiant damage to every one of their attacks. And do you know what? I also guiding bolted that uh, the next turn. So now now all their attacks are at advantage. Well, not all, one of them. Chunky clerics, people quite often Mm. tank the dexterity stat. So if you take shield master, the two other effects you get with that is... If you aren't incapacitated, you can add your shield's AC bonus to any dexterity saving throw you make. Wow. 
and if you're subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw, you can use your reaction to take no damage if you succeed. So it, essentially it gives you rogues uncanny dodge, dodge as long as you've got a shield. So I looked at <laughs> it and I thought it's quite a nice... It's a great feat. It's quite a nice feat. I think a lot of people don't take it because it kind of feels like there's other feats that, you know, huge quotation marks here should be taking that are more sort of pertinent to your class or taking an ability score increase. But if you've got variant human, like we have, you've got that spare feat to play with. Do you know what that would be really good for? Eldritch Knight. Bash him to the ground. Advantage Booming Blade. You know what I would really like... And as soon as they get up, they've used half their movement, bang. You know what I would really like to see? Go on. And this is a thing that I've seen in Dark Souls and I've seen in a couple of other games. I don't think this is a real world thing. The ability to wield two shields. <laughs> I think that would be silly. Just to be able to like smack someone's head between the two shields or things. You know, to, to have if you take a feat where if you're wielding a shield in both hands, you can treat them as weapons in this way. I'm not saying it's something that needs to be there for balance reasons or it's something that's missing from the game. You can do that. I just think it would be funny. You can do that. Tavern Brawler? Improvised weapon, I yeah. would not allow you to have a plus four mm. to, to AC with two shields. I think that's taking the piss. You'd probably have to add a subclause, which is like, if you're using large shields or, you know, create a great shield item that goes along with it. Because the character that I was thinking of was there's two enemies in. I think it's late in Dark Souls 2 Mm -hmm. somewhere. There's a bit where you go past these double doors and then the double doors stand up and walk towards you. (laughs) And it's literally just two guys with two massive shields (laughs) who, who either charge towards you and sort of shield charge you or occasionally they'll sort of like smash with one shield Mm -hmm. or they'll try and trap you between the two shields. There's a couple of different attacks that they've got, but I've always thought like given that D&D is a fantasy game where you can do silly things that you would, I just you know, showed him the fire giant dreadnought, by the way. Okay, yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. You can do things that wouldn't work on a real battlefield, but kind of feel like they should. Yeah. Which is why, you know, you have things like two-weapon fighting, which, as you pointed out, doesn't really exist in the real world. Outside of display martial arts. It- okay, so I'm sure there are people who did use it, but we're talking about the exception that proves the rule. It wasn't a common battlefield technique. It was sometimes used in one-to-one fights, almost as a brag, like, look at me, I can use two swords. And, like, when you look at, you know, D&D as uh, people running around with sticks fighting monsters virtually one-on-one, and not battlefield scenarios, you wanting to show off I can use two swords or two axes or two whatevers, that's fine. I do think that there should be three levels of shield. Yeah, there's a lot of computer RPGs that I've played. I think in third edition, I'm pretty sure there was like Buckler, Light Shield and Heavy Shield. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure there used to be. I think this is making combat more complicated, actually. I'm going to go back to more time. Mm-hmm. My favourite Games Workshop game. The Buckler allowed you in combat to parry, or if you had a weapon with parry, you could re-roll the parry. Similar in Dark Souls. Kind of advantage. Yeah. It's kind of advantage. I think in D&D, if that was a plus two versus melee attacks, but it was cheaper and lighter, but it didn't give you any AC to ranged attacks, and then you had uh, what's called a pavise, which a lot of people will know as a tower shield, but a pavise is a historical thing, and it's cool as, right? Essentially, it's mobile half cover that you stick 
your crossbow on top of. Oh, it's got the little bite out of the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you stick your crossbow on top of and go, ha ha, shoot a crossbow. And then you pick it up and move forward while things are hitting you. Mm. And then you put it down and go, bang. Essentially, mm. it would become half cover that you yeah. could carry around with you as an arbalist. So you've got your big shield. You yeah. pick it up as a bonus action. You put it down and poof. Just off the top of my head, and this is there are probably details of this that were wrong. I seem to remember in the 3.5, or I might be going back to second edition here, I'm pretty sure that there were different sizes of shields that gave you different AC bonuses, and the heavier ones gave you disadvantage. But fifth edition has kind of dropped the system of armor giving you disadvantage to things. It's you either have proficiency in it and can use it, or you can't use it. Whereas in earlier editions, it was you could use armor you weren't proficient with, but you would get a load of negatives for it. There were feats you could take that would make things easier. In fact, an easier way of making this thing with the with the pavise would be to have a feat that allows you to use a shield as half cover instead. There are so many things that need to happen in terms of feats. We need a versatile weapons feat. Mm-hmm. So that when you're wielding a versatile weapon in two hands... I actually saw this on TikTok, someone was saying about this. This is their homebrew feat. When wielding a sword in two hands... Sorry, a versatile weapon in two hands, yeah. you add plus one to your AC. And when wielding it in one hand, you can add plus one to damage rolls. So you essentially get a cross between the dual-wielding fighting style that adds plus one AC and the dueling fighting style that adds plus two to attack. And uh, with the thing that you can don and off a shield as a bonus action. Because currently it takes one one action. Hmm. Which I think is would make versatile weapons so dang cool. Yeah. I'm just looking at the order. I think we've done pros and cons. Yeah. Multiclassing. What Ranger. feels... Yeah. Things that have wisdom feel like they would be good, obviously. But I did look at Ranger Multiclass. But my ultimate thing with, if you've got a fifth level cleric, I would choose i'm not saying this is right not saying this is what everyone else should do i feel bad if i make a cleric who should have access to raise dead and doesn't or revivify yeah sorry if i have a cleric who should be able to do that and can't i kind of feel weird about that and that's that's a personal choice but that's just something that i find difficult to get over Mm -hmm. because again with having it as the war cleric you could have literally just gone full damage spec and gone sod the healing spells. There's nothing in War Cleric that gives you bonuses to healing, really. So there's no real reason why you have to be able to heal as a War Cleric. This is why I flavoured it as a Commissar from 40k, because it made more sense for them to be inspiring in a bad way. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's such a good mental model for something to do with this character. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say about multiclassing. Yeah. What really frustrates me is that you could take any cleric and add one level of monk and you would get a bonus action attack all the time. And, like, there is even something to say for taking the war domain cleric and still taking that level of monk so you can always bonus action attack. And when something needs to die, you go, no, nope, I'm using my weapon attack this time around. You can take that to level five you get five key points you can do stunning strike you with the dedicated weapon feature that's now in monks you could take a warhammer and do some real damage and have a bonus d6 attack and flurry of blows and then you wouldn't have to take armor so you'd be really light you could bump your dexterity did you want to talk about chunky clerics 
I think so, because most of the time when I build a cleric, I will build a World of Warcraft style priest. I mean, if you look at the image that it yeah, has yeah, yeah, yeah. for cleric in the handbook, it is a dwarf wearing chainmail. Yeah. If you go on to the fourth edition based MMO, Neverwinter, your cleric has chainmail on that. I think there's a lot of people when they think of the D&D cleric, they think of the heavy cleric, the chunky cleric. Yeah. So in Pathfinder, there is the seer. Is this... Or oracle class? Is this the new version of... Because there's Pathfinder that's based on 3.5. I am going to plead ignorance. Yeah, because I don't know much about Pathfinder. And I know that that automatically triggers a bunch of guys saying, oh, you should play that instead of 5th edition. Anyway, who cares? I am told by people who I know on the internet. I don't know whether I trust them or not, but I know them on the internet. And they have said that the Clockwork Soul is basically reminiscent of a class from Pathfinder, which is this more divine wizard, rather than the cleric as a big, chunky brock. Which I think is missing. I think we got it back with the Divine Soul, but it could be its own class. Of the, you know, the the prophetess or the whatever, walking through, uh, casting these divine spells, but with a D6. Mm. There's a wizard subclass that's uh, divination wizards. They get the thing where at the start of each day they roll three dice and then (laughs) at any point during the day they want, they can just go, no, I'm having one of these that I rolled at the start of the day. You can also make that any other monster's roll as well oh okay yeah yeah you can force them to fail a saving throw <laughs> if you roll low enough I never thought about that yeah because I just rolled it and I thought well what if you get three terrible rolls you give them to other people you give them man. to other people yeah <laughs> what if you get three medium rolls then the class is fucked <laughs> not necessarily I mean like I'm thinking of the clockwork amulet thing where once a day you can replace something with a straight 10 on a roll. And if you know you have the bonuses to make it, if you hit a 10, it's an invaluable item. Hey, you know what you could do that with? Well, if you had the divination wizard and a war cleric, and you've got a barbarian, and the barbarian's great weapon mastering, so it takes a minus... Oh, you're talking about three... I I thought you were talking about, like, multi-class. No, 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 no. That's that's getting difficult. (laughs) You got these three in your party. The divination wizard is just sat there with their finger up their nose. As usual. As usual, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to take a minus five penalty. Oh, no, I rolled a nine. No, you didn't. You rolled a 12. (laughs) War God's Blessing had 10. That's 22 minus five, 17. That hits. Hey, I do 10 damage. I kill it, and I get my bonus action attack as well. (laughs) Whoop, whoop, whoop. Terrifying. Mostly for the whoop, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Um, I would take something from your build. Would you? Yes. I love the creativeness of taking that yellow diamond. Mm. I think that's the best thing I've ever heard. I probably would also steal, and I don't think it's necessarily from your build, but the healer's kit thing that you mentioned, I would definitely add a healer's kit. Yeah. I'm glad I asked about it because it was something that I thought, when I was just reading it on my own, I was going, is this good or not? And you've talked it through in a way that makes it sound really good. There are ways that you can make it good. Yeah. The thief, rogue, healer. I mean, it's it's great in its own way. Yeah. It's 5GP for a healing kit, I think. I think that was something that I meant to say, is instead of doing that, you could use your 100GP to buy healer's kits and take your magic item as a bag of holding. So you've just got a big bag of healing kits. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, then you never need to worry about spell slots for healing. 
No, and because you take... if, if you can't take a short rest, something I was reading about the other day was somebody that was saying, oh, my Jeffing party keeps taking short rests and it just keeps negating the challenge of it. And they say, well, why not have them pursued? Let them get half an hour into the thing and then, the, you know, you've got people trying to break through the door or you've literally got a situation where they're being pursued or they're being chased or they're being hunted or something. Or dragon. Yeah. Flying dragon. Yeah. They Never can't keep taking short rests. But if you've got a healer's kit, that's 1d6 plus bollocks yeah, for... Four plus level. For six seconds. Because it's as an action. Maybe it says So maximum. as long as you've got a minute clear, that's 10d6 healing. Because okay. one of these yeah. kits has 10 charges and one charge will heal for d6 plus bollocks. I can tell you why it's maximum hit dice and not level. Because? Because if you use three hit dice and you're level four, per short rest you only get a certain amount of them back. Per long rest, sorry, you only get a certain amount of them back. Oh, okay. So your maximum for that for the next day might be three. So that's why it isn't level. There is an optional rule to get all your pit dice back. I also like the flair of it. And again, this was why I was very, very tempted to take it for the idea of a battlefield medic. Was the idea that it's not magical stuff. It's literally just bandages, splints, poultices, antiseptic. It's a healer's kit, as in a non-magical healer's kit. So... Really? It also, fluff-wise, it really works. If you can bar the door for a minute, 10 rounds of healing that yeah, on your man. fighter and just getting, you know, everything That's splinted. The best and, 5 GP you've ever spent. Yeah. I mean, 5 GP, GP. for 10 D6 healing is... Bonkers. That's good. Bonkers. And it's... Because normally, you can only use a healer's kit to do... To stabilise someone. To stabilise someone. It's like an automatic yeah. stabiliser. And if you take the healer check. feet, when you stabilise someone, they come up with one hit point, which then means, as Steve was saying, if you're doing that as a bonus action, you can bonus action stabilise someone, then with your action, you can heal them. So it's kind of If you're right. a thief rogue and you've got it as bonus action, you can heal two people. <laughs> take the mobile feet. Yeah. Run between two people, heal them both. Yeah. 1d6 plus 4 plus hit dice. That would be so funny to be at a table with a thief rogue and then to just, at level 4, suddenly you're rivaling the cleric with one feet. <laughs> and five gold pieces. Yeah. <laughs> They're not even that heavy. No, no, you no. Can ca- you can carry multiple of them, yeah. or if you've got a bag of holding, you just have a big bag of medical supplies, <laughs> and every time you're in a town, you just clean them out of their medical supplies. Me again. Just a reminder, the wording of the perk says the creature can't regain hit points from this feat again until it finishes a short or long rest. Worth bearing in mind. Okay, so here it is. At the end of a long rest, a character regains all lost hit points. Mm. The character also regains regains spent hit dice up to a number of dice equal to half of the character's total number of them. In this example, if you were level four and you used three in one day, your maximum for the next day would be three because you'd only get two back. That's weird because when you take a long rest on D&D Beyond, it just gives you them all back. That's a thing that you pick. But I'll have to look into that more because if that's a thing, I need to be aware of it because we actually use hit dice on short rests at our home game. So I'll have to, I'll have to be more aware of that. Yeah. So that's a cleric. What would you take from my build? your build I would probably be more inclined to take the whole damn thing (laughs) I love the idea of a commissar so much I would definitely take that flair over the battlefield medic who's almost obsessively healing things and I think that comes down to whether you look at cleric as do you patch up a bad situation by healing people 
or do you preemptively make sure people a, a cleric, have the extra hit points? A cleric is a support character. That is not the same thing as a healer. And going by how the dungeon dudes describe it, utility is adding extra stuff to your characters, to your party, so they can do more things. Yeah. A support character adds to what your party can already do. Mm. So bless, Crusader's Mantle, Define Favor, blah, 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 blah. All those buffs are support. And I think if you take the idea of your character, your level 5 party, and you've got Crusader's Mantle. It's not that I'm in love with the spell, it's just the thing that's coming no, to my head. No, it's a good one. If you're using that, and every attack that everyone is doing adds a d4. So that's, in our party, that's all two of your Paladin's attacks. Both of Katie's attacks, Artemis's attack, and all three of your attacks... Four if I'm four if I'm dropping on flurry of blows. That's the one. Yeah. So that's now eight to nine extra d4s worth of damage. Everything's going to be dead, and that's only three players. That, yeah, that we're doing that on again. We're, this is assuming that, that the cleric is in between the frontline combatants and the people, be, uh, people who are far enough behind. Mm. But also, you've got such a chunky armor class that your ranger or bow fighter, or in our case, the artificer, yeah. can stand next to the damn cleric who's you know, <laughs> shooting arrows, going hey, extra d4, extra d4, extra d4. Again, you could just have a whole party of archers because they only need to be in the aura. Mm. The enemy doesn't. <laughs> I guess that's the other thing about clerics is the reason that they get the medium armor and some of them get heavy armor is because they can heal and they can modify. They're going to be a target in the way wizards aren't. So I think to reflect the fact that you're really in trouble when your cleric goes down, they've kind of been a bit more generous with, all right, you know, you can have plate mail so that you're not just a pin cushion full of arrows by the end of the fight. Yeah. Because again, if in real medieval battles, if somebody had been able to heal the way a cleric would... You they would have gone on forever. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Every side would turn up with siege weaponry, which would instantly target the cleric. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you had a gloomstalker, they would be sent out to destroy the cleric before the cleric ever came to the battlefield. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, would you play this character? I think I probably would, because if I'm honest, I flipping love healers. I love okay. I love healers. I love playing healers. It's my default go-to character. I think I mentioned I was oh, play, okay. I went to a, a pickup D and D game the other weekend, and I I had like ten minutes, so I just made a cleric who was good at healing, and I was it was all ready to go. And then in the car on the way over, the missus said we've got a cleric. So I was like, right, I don't know what other classes we've got. I'll go bard, so I can be an all rounder and I, I can help out with whatever. But equally, I fucking love your idea of the commissar, and I, I would really be tempted to try that, or at least build that and have a look at what I could do with that idea because it's so. I never would have thought of doing that with a cleric, but it's such mm. a good way of doing it. My default, I'll be honest, was to add two levels of ranger to get druidic warrior to get shillelagh, druidic warrior to get shillelagh, and then. Also, to maybe take Polar Master as my first thing, so that I could have an extra attack more reliably and still use a shield. But then I wouldn't be casting. And in the end, it's really worth everyone at home remembering. Take your wisdom, not your strength. If you boost your wisdom all the way up to 20, and you've got full plate mail, hmm. like your constitution score is kind of a... <laughs> yeah. At that point, you, I mean, you need it for... Oh, I took resilient constitution, so I don't even yeah. need it for, for concentration checks. I've just done a bit of research. Yeah. I was wrong about the hit dice maximum. Oh. 
I've realised what it's for. Your hit dice maximum is your level, unless it's a monster and they do have hit dice. And then it would be the maximum number of hit dice that they have You would, if you were healing a monster of some description. So if the Pegasus, if you found a dying animal... or Gobbo the Goblin. Gobbo the Goblin, you can fix yeah. them up. Yeah. You're adopted Goblin. You've got an adopted Goblin here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Something we haven't really covered, actually. Mm-hmm. We can do this quickly. Future of the build. I didn't think about it. I didn't really think about it either. I just, again, with mine, it would be as soon as you level up, as soon as you get a new ability, is it can it heal anything? If not, ignore it. So it would literally be everything that heals, restores, purifies, gets rid of negative effects on things. I think if I've made this point enough, tell me, if you're in a party full of frontline combatants, the war cleric has a place of making you better at killing things. Yeah. If you're playing with a bunch of wizards <laughs> yeah, and an archfey warlock and one rogue or one paladin, you are pointless. And I think it relies on your party construction. So the stock rises when you're, you have frontline combatants and falls behind when it's just, you know, you and a rogue and a bunch of people in dresses hurling firebolts. Mm-hmm. You'd really have to organise ahead of time. Oh, so you want to play a barbarian, a paladin, and a fighter. I'll be a war cleric, and we can just run in, kill everything, and move on with our lives. Which kind of fits the fluff, because if you've got people who are doing sort of like social role play and, you know, mystical arts stuff, then they're going to be sort of... I don't know if that's something that a war cleric would go for as much as, like, we've got a bunch of guys with swords here, you come in. Yeah. I mean, I think essentially the war cleric becomes really, really cool in a murder hobo party. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I told you, Josh Sawyer, the designer for Pillars of Eternity and a bunch of the Fallout games, it might be the first or the second Pillars game, but it's actually constructed in a way so that even if the player, like, literally starts on one corner of the map and goes through and murders every single NPC, the game can still be finished. Really? They put a route through so that if you are literal murder hobo, just clearing the map and murdering everything, there's quite a few of the side quests that close off. But the main quest line can still be finished if you literally go through killing everything. Amazing. Including, like, at one point there's a seer that you go and see and she's got all of her agents that are going out and getting information for her. And so you go into a house that's literally full of all of these agents and they're all, like, reasonably powerful rogues in terms of their ability kit. But if you want to, you can just go into that house, (laughs) murder everyone, everyone, get to the top and she's like, what have you done? And then tries to fight you and you fight her and kill her. And then I think you find there's backup stuff on everyone, oh, on well, people's so bodies, cool. so that, you're like, as long as you loot the corpse, or as long as you look at the corpse afterwards, any quest load-bearing items will remain there, even if the corpse decays. It stays there in a little bag oh, on the right, ground. Right. So as long as at some point you go back there, you will find the note that will lead you to next location. That's wonderful. So they've got, like, a backup so that literally you can kill everything in those games and still proceed. That's cool. So, yeah, War Cleric for Murder Hobos. Yeah. A+. plus. You're the holiest of Murder Hobos. The Holy Hobos. Yeah. Let us come to the next character. Ooh. We are making an artificer. Ooh. A battlesmith artificer. Right. Which is what my partner's character is. This will be interesting. It will be. Because they're a Githyanki. 
Now, I need to tell the audience something. This is one of two characters that were not totally randomly re-rolled. Rolled. The other one was the final one, because there was no way on this earth or the next I was going to sit waiting for it to come up with that class. <laughs> so I picked that class. That's the only thing. This is the other one, because originally it rolled Artificer for a shifter. Can I just ask, is this Gith Yankee Mordenkainen Presents Multiverse of WandaVision? Yes, yes it is. Okay. This is new Gith Yankee. It very specifically picked it. I wrote it down specifically. Originally, I rolled an artificer who was, I think it was the artillerist, and they were a shifter. And we'd already done shifter. Mm. And I wrote it down, and then literally the next thing, like the next roll, was artificer battlesmith Gith Yankee. And I went, that's going to be more interesting. Mm. So I made a judgment call to remove one. So it's the only one technically... I made a choice to include. Yeah. But because it was literally back-to-back, an artificer than an artificer, and I thought this would be more interesting than doing Shifter again. One possibility for the next season I was thinking of is getting a spreadsheet where we can just exclude the results because there are ones where you can just hit the button and it does a random formula on it. So, Battlesmith Yankee. Mm. Which should be really cool. That should be interesting. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Right, um, Pod Dog has uh, podded off. Pod Dog's gone. Yeah, Mrs. has turned up. Yeah, hmm. not interested in us anymore. So, um, see you fucks later. <laughs> Can't leave that in. <laughs> You've said that. Yeah. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build Bard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon, and Frodo the dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Steve and Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. And remember, respect your elf before you wreck yourself. Hello everyone. This is uh, just for recording, Simon. I thought I'd leave you a spicy little message. The problem is... Stop it. (laughs)